so, so why, don't, why don't we have everyone stand up? We need everyone to stand up right now. We're going to do some, some light stretching. It's better to stretch in church than to sleep in church, amen? We go like this, and then we go down. We go back here. Lift one leg up. Lift another leg up. Okay, there we go. Now everyone can sit down. Did that feel good? Okay, we've, we've got a lot to accomplish and a little time to do it in. So we're going to jump right into this. Today's sermon is called, What's in a Name? Divine Identity Revealed. Godfrey warned me about that projector. He's going to be my opponent. So, Divine Identity Revealed. What's in a Name? And we're going to be looking at the first point, the, first, the, the, the genuine emphasis of this sermon, if you will, is this, for those of you taking notes, that the divine identity is intrinsic and absolutely necessary for our salvation. The ide- divine identity is intrinsic and absolutely necessary for our own salvation. And we're going to be looking at three areas to to show this and maybe unpack what that means. The first is we're going to be looking at the law. Next, we're going to be looking at the name of God. And the third is God's plan for our lives. So first, we're going to be looking at the what? The law of God. And then we're going to be looking at what? The name of God, and then we're going to be looking at God's plan for our lives. Okay, excellent. Let's pray because we need the Holy Spirit here. I have to be honest. I think that if there's one place that we should be able to be honest and open, it's church. Amen? This is the house of God. I have to be honest with you. I do not want to preach this sermon. I fought with God. I wanted to preach a different one, but He told me. I believe that God told me that this is the sermon. This is the word that God had for His people. And as uh, Godfrey and I were, were doing some work this week, we were reading in Spirit of Prophecy, and it was powerful what Ellen White said there. She said that those who couple their interests with the divine couple their interests with the one who himself knows no failure. Can you say amen to that? When we unite ourselves with Christ, how much failure can we expect to have if He's the one that's guiding the ship? None! Because He knows no failure. So we need to to, to remember that promise. I need to remember that promise personally as as I get down on my knees and as we pray. So let's, um, let's bow our heads. Dear Jesus, we pray that you would just bless this place with your Holy Spirit. We thank you once again for inviting us to your house, to wanting to draw near to us, to want to call us your friends. And Father, as the message in my mind is unsure, I know that I have faith, I, have, I, I trust you that you are going to do mighty deeds today. And that through the, the ministry that all of us do today. We, we pray, we plead, we, we ask that it would go out and that it would minister to hundreds and thousands of people in the world. We pray this through faith. We know that in the apostolic times, thousands were converted and we know that you have 
greater plans for this day and age. We pray once again that Jesus would be uplifted and that through this foolishness of preaching, many would come to know you. In your name, amen. Okay, so the first um, thing that we're going to be looking at the sermon is the law, right? So let's go to 1 John 2.3. I found this in my devotions this week. 1 John 2.3. Now, if you do a lot of reading in 1 John, what's something that John, or any of John's works, what's something that John likes to emphasize? He likes to emphasize love, right? But there's another thing that, that John emphasizes. He emphasizes the law. Have you noticed that? Just kind of going through John's works, John emphasizes two things. He emphasizes love, and he emphasizes the law. Now let's read this. This is from the New King James Version. It's up on the screen if you need to follow. 1 John 2.3 Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his what? If we keep his commandments. If we keep God's commandments, then what happens? We know him. But let's look at the English Standard Version. It says something very interesting. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The other one is, if, if, we, if we, by this we know him. The other one is, by this we have come to know him. It's important to recognize that, that John, in, in the original language, that the ESV is kind of following the linguistic route more. The, what, what's being said here is that when you know what the commandments are, when you know what they are, and you keep them, then what? You have come to know him. But it's more than this. It's, it's not just knowing the commandments. And I think this is something that Christianity is especially guilty of, Adventism especially is guilty of. It tends to be, people in the church tend to be very much about the facts, right? We tend to be about the facts. Um, we tend to be about, you know, the information. Now, is information important? Yes, the information is important, but is it more important to live the truth that we have, even if it's minute, or, or should we just know all this stuff and not apply it? We need to, we need to apply it, right? It's better to know a little bit and to apply that truth than to know a whole bunch of stuff and not apply it to our lives. Amen? Now look at this. This is what 1 John 2.3 says. If, if you look at the original, the original language again, um, the, it's, it's not just we know him if we keep his commandments. It's we, if we, we know him intimately if we guard his commandments carefully. Do you catch that? It's not just a superficial knowledge of the, the Ten Commandments, right? It's, it, it's, it's, not just, it's not just a superficial knowledge of love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? There's more to it than that. There's more to the commandments than just knowing the commandments. It's to keep them with all diligence. Now this verse promises us another thing. If we are going, it, it, it tells us that we can know God. It's, it's possible for us to know God. But for us to know God, look at uh, number C or letter C right there. If we are to see God through the law, we must see how He sees the law. 
You tracking with me? Does that make sense? If, if we are to know why the law is so important to God, first, what we need to know how God sees the law. It's not just we knowing what the Ten Commandments are. We know Jesus saying, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It's more than that. Correct? I'm losing you guys. Okay, so we need to see how God sees the law. Now, how are we going to do that? First off, let's start off with this individual. I'll give you guys a few seconds to look at him. We're going to talk about names this morning. And this, this um, guy is, I think he's 22 now. Um, he changed his name to something very interesting. A teenager from Glatzenbury, this is in England, is the proud owner of what is thought to be the world's longest name. He has changed it by deed poll to, listen to this, Captain Fantastic, faster than Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, Wolverine, the Hulk, and the Flash combined. That's a weird name, right? Would you want that name? That He sounds kind of like, you know, he's reading too many comic books. Now, formerly his name was called George Garrett. Hmm. He said that he did it because he thought it was a funny thing to do. Now, we look at that, and, and we think names, I mean, that, that's funny, right? But, but how do we name our children in this day and age? Like, why do we give uh, our, our children names? I've met some people who they, they actually name their children after soap opera characters. Or, or they name them after their favorite TV star. Or they, the, what, what's, what's the most common reason that people name their, their child a certain name? Family name, that, that's one. And the, the other one is it sounds phonetically pleasing, right? It's like, oh, that sounds nice. That has a nice ring to it. But we need to understand that in Bible times, names were a lot more significant than just a phonetically pleasing sound or, or the name of a, a, a family member. They, they were symbolic of something. You didn't just give a name. Names were very important. Now, I have a question. Does anyone know the meaning of their name and are willing to share it? Does anyone know their name and they're willing to share it? Okay. It's Jennifer. Jennifer? Jennifer means fair lady. Okay, that's, that's a really pretty name. That's a really nice name. Does anyone else have a name that they want to share? They know the meaning of it? Okay, we got one back here in the back. Okay, what's your name and what does it mean? Well, it's Robert Stephen. Uh, that's my first two names, but it's Shining Crown. Shining Crown. That's a really cool one. Okay. Cynthia. Cynthia, and what does Cynthia's name mean? Greek goddess. Okay, so we see that names have meanings. It's not just that they sound nice. They, they actually have meaning. My brother's name is Chad. Does anyone know what the name Chad means? Chad, C-H-A-D. Chad has a really cool name. It's actually Hebrew. It means brave warrior. I want that name. He took that namesake too much, though, sometimes. But uh, Chad's name means brave warrior, mighty warrior in the Hebrew. 
Um, does anyone know someone named Caleb? My best friend from high school, his name's Caleb White. Caleb, his name means dog. He's one of the one people I can actually say, what's up, dog, and I'm actually talking to him. <laughs> now, my name means Samuel, which is asked of God. Um, the, the, there are different names. Does anyone know someone named Natalie? Natalie's a cool name. You know what Natalie means? Birthday. That's right. Somebody said it. Natalie means birthday. It's, it, it's pretty. It's there are a lot of names that are very pretty and, but have very powerful meanings that we don't recognize today. Um, sometimes my girlfriend catches me on, on uh, looking up names and stuff, and she's like, oh, how cute. He's planning for our kids. I'm like, no, I just like names. <laughs> okay. Now, what about God? God has, what, what's God's name? Jehovah, Yahweh, okay, yeah, those are good, and those are right. What are some other names of God? Jesus, that's right. What, what are some other names of God? Savior, Alpha, Omega, Michael, I am, yeah, Lord, Prince of Peace, right? Yeah, all these names apply. I love the Lion of Judah, by the way. I mean, look at all these different names. Now, all of these names are right, but how does that work? I want to take us to a specific place in the Bible. Remember, we, we were on the law. Now we're transitioning from the, the law of God. We need to understand who God is to understand the law of God. We transition from the law. Now we're going to the name of God. The name of God. Did you know that there's actually a place in the Bible where God proclaims his name? Like he actually says what his name is. Like God himself, not, you know, someone, you know, ascribing something to him. God himself says his name. And it's in Exodus 34, but before there, let's go to Exodus 33:18 and 19. Exodus 33:18 and 19. This is the second time that Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. Remember what happened the first time? What happened the first time? Golden calf and, you know, he threw him on the ground, right? So, he's going up the second time. And what's really interesting here about, about Moses is he actually asks God for a favor. He says, God, can I see you? Uh, do, do you recognize that, Bible scholars, that story? Moses wants to see the face of God, and God says, no, you can't do that, Moses, you'll die. But you know what? I'll show you my back. And then verse 18 and 19, this is Moses to God, verse 18. And he said, please show me your glory. Verse 19, then he said, or God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So God says that I will show you my glory, and I'll proclaim my name. Now, why does this matter? Because why is God doing this? And two, doesn't 
Moses already know the name of God? I mean, they've been talking for a while. It's like he didn't you know, tell them his name. Well, Exodus 34, 5, and 6, and you'll recognize this as our Scripture reading from this morning, is where God makes good on His promise. Exodus 34, 5, and 6. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now listen here. This is the proclamation. Verse 6. And the Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third, and the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Now, Mr. Uh, William at the beginning there had a pretty long name, but that, that was a pretty long name, don't you think? Now, before we go into all of that, because we, what, what, what's God saying there? That's his name. Exodus 34, 5, and 6. Um, some of you may, many of you may know this, and many of you may not know this. Um, when you see Lord in your Bible and it's capitalized, all the L is capitalized, O is capitalized, R is capitalized, and D is capitalized, you know what that means? It's actually the word Jehovah. Or Yah, actually. But it, it's, it's the word Jehovah. It's the name Jehovah. Now, does anyone know what Jehovah means? Yeah? What, what does it mean? The self-existent one. Yeah, many people equate it to that. that that's good. Um, it, it actually, the literal translation is I am. Do, do we have any Spanish speakers? We have some Spanish speakers. Okay, so you know that there, there's the, the, the verb to be in Spanish. There are two verbs to be in Spanish. Possibly more. The two that I were taught, that I was taught were ser and estar. Now, is ser permanent or is it not permanent? It's permanent, right? And the verb estar is permanent. So, if I say, yo estoy enfermo, I'm sick, right? But it's not permanent because what's going to happen? I'm going to get better, hopefully, you know. Um, either that or I'm not going to get better. So we, we see that it's not permanent to be sick. Now, if we take this verb, ser, and put it in the first person, yo soy un gringo because there's no hope for me. I'm never going to learn Spanish. It's permanent. It's a permanent disability. So we see the difference. Ser is permanent. Estar is not permanent. Um, the, this, this verb um, that means to be, that, that the name Jehovah is, is derived from, or Yahweh is derived from, is actually closer to the ser. It's, it's permanent. It's I am. I am eternal. I am the self-existent one. But look at this we already looked at the characteristics of God. It said, what did it say? Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, God merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and in truth. 
So what are those? What are those things? They're attributes, right? Or characteristics, right? They're, they're, they're who God is. Have you ever heard that idiom that we have in, our, in, our, in, in, in English, maybe in other languages? Making a name for yourself. What does that mean? What does it mean to make a name for yourself? Does it mean you like make a, make a name for yourself? Or you write one out? or A reputation, right? But it, it, it's, it's even more than that when God's explaining it here. It's not just a reputation. It's his character, right? It's the very identity of God. Uh, let, let's, let's try to put this another way. God wants to be known for what he does, right? God wants to be known for what he looks like in life, in interacting with people. That's what God wants to be known for, right? God doesn't name himself some arbitrary name like, like Bob or, 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 or something like that, even though if anyone's named Bob here, that's, that's awesome. It's a good, strong name. But, but God doesn't name himself just some arbitrary name. God names himself after who he is, what he looks like. Now look at this. When we were reading 6 and 7, verse 7 seemed a little bit stressful. Verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the, and the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Now is that last part cruel? Is God cruel? Is he cruel? Parents, is justice cruel? There, there are two parts to love, right? We know from the Bible that God is also love, right? There, there are two aspects of love. And what are those two aspects? There's mercy, but then there's also justice. Parents, if you're completely merciful with your kids, what's going to happen? They're going to spoil. They're going to be spoiled rotten, right? Right? What happens when they come back from their grandparents? What do they look like? Ah! But if you have someone who's only just with their children, what does that look like? See, there are two aspects of God, and, and both of them bring this beautiful picture of who God is. Love is ultimately selflessness, caring about someone else's needs before your own, right? Can we say that God does that? I'm sick and tired of, of society saying that love is this sort of this ambig ambiguous general acceptance. Oh, I love you, so I'm not going to, what, what's, the, what's the term? To judge you, right? Now, there is bad judgment. We, I think we've all experienced that. We've experienced bad judgment. But love is not just, just um, mercy or, or not paying attention to things that need to happen. Love is not just acceptance, right? Love is not just acceptance. Love is more than that. Love is actually caring about someone. 
You can accept someone without actually caring about them, right? You do it all the time while you're driving, right? Someone cuts you off, and you could have road rage and be like, no, but I love this person, so I'm not going to run their, their bumper in. You could love that person, but potentially that situation, you're not loving that person as much as you're accepting that person, right? So there's a difference between love and just acceptance. And we need to understand that in, in light of society. Love is actually caring about someone to the point where you're willing to deny yourself for that person, but it's got two parts. Not just the mercy side. What else does it have? It has the justice side. So we see that, that this, this divine identity is perfect for taking care of people. Now, when I was reading that, though, something popped up we're almost done. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such there is what? No law. law. It's kind of funny that the second time that that God is giving them the Ten Commandments, right? He he proclaims His name. And what does His name sound awfully like? The, the, The fruits of the Spirit. In other words, God is telling us here through Paul that God Himself is actually asking us to have the same image as God. Do you see that? Paul's saying, put off these other vices in the, in the verses after that, but, but then right at the get-go, right after that, what is he saying? He says, but this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what you will be seeing in someone's life if the Holy Spirit is inside of them and transforming them. Yeah? That's what's happening. Against such there is no law. Why, is, why did Paul feel obligated to include that in this epistle? Because this is the attitude that we have to have in order to keep the law of God. In order to love your neighbor as yourself, try that without these attributes. Right? What would that be like? I'm going to love my neighbor as myself without love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. What would that be like? It wouldn't be love. It wouldn't be love. So Paul's saying that this is absolutely necessary, and this is where we transition to, to how it's absolutely necessary to where we have that divine identity ourselves. We need to have this identity, this this picture of God needs to be in ourselves, right? In fact, coincidentally, we were talking, what, what, what's, one of, what, what's one of the Ten Commandments? What, what is it? The third one? Yeah. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Does that just mean don't, don't use His name idly, like in speech? What else does that apply to? There's a story Woman's driving this car, angry, bad day, driving her car, fast as you can. Maybe some of you heard this story. 
She's driving this car as fast as she can, honking at people, cussing at people, all of this stuff, driving down Main Street, and this cop pulls her over. She's scared. She becomes this perfect little angel, starts talking to him. Officer, what did I do wrong? It's okay. Just let me see your license re registration. Checks those out, comes back. He's like, I'm sorry. I thought the car was stolen. See, I saw all these WWJD bumper stickers on the back of your car. That's taking the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? When we say that we are Christians, but show the character of someone else, are we truly being Christians? We're not, right? We need to have these fruits of the Spirit. Now, how do we get that? Because I know I can't be like that. Okay, let's go to... Actually, we don't have time. We're going we're gonna to skip through it. You're going to have to take this by faith. No, just kidding. I'll give you the reference. It's in John 13. Or John, John 15, 3. Christ, Jesus is talking to these, these disciples but he tells them that they are clean. That they are pure. That they are clean. How are these disciples clean? When you think of the disciples, how many of you think that they were clean people? When you think of the disciples, how many of you think, this is a person I want to be friends with? When you think of the disciples, what do you think about? Yeah, troubles, right? What did the disciples do when they were here on earth? What did they do? What were some of the antics that they pulled? Come on, Bible scholars, we got this. Selfishness, they wanted to burn people. Rusty, that's exactly right. That's where I was going at. These disciples, so how many of us have done door-to-door -door work? knocking on doors, passing out stuff. How many of you wanted to toast someone after they knocked on your, you knocked on their door? I've had experiences where I was just like, okay, God, fire time right there. These disciples wanted to call fire down from heaven and consume up this whole town because they rejected the message of Jesus. These disciples were the ones who wanted to crown Jesus king and they're like, Jesus, can I be on this side? I want to be on that side. No. Bah! Those were, these were those people. These were those disciples. And Jesus calls them clean. That doesn't sit well with me. That doesn't work well with me. It doesn't make any sense. How are these people clean? Not only that, but Jesus is coming to the end of the line and these disciples are still trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God and they're listening to Jesus trying to you know, muscle position and Jesus calls them clean even though they still don't understand that he's going to be crucified and that Peter's going to deny, them, or deny him and they're all going to flee. They're all going to leave the scene and Jesus still calls them clean. How does that work? How does that work? By faith, yes. By faith. What else? By love, yeah. Jesus definitely had to have an insane amount of love for them. He knew their hearts, yeah. 
but their hearts weren't <laughs> the prettiest things to look at. Why did Jesus call them clean? The words that he spoke to them, yeah. They believed in him. Not only that, but the disciples. Who did they hang out with? You know, Jesus, right? When they woke up, who did they wake up with? Jesus. At the end of that day when they wanted to call fire down on that village for not accepting Jesus, who did they, who did they spend the night with? Jesus. Jesus was the one who was the reason why they were clean. Yeah? Is this biblical? You have to tell me if it's biblical. If I'm preaching heresy, I, I want you guys to kick me out of the church. All but one were clean. Yeah, Judas had, had some issues in his heart. He wasn't there with Jesus. But the disciples were walking with Jesus. This is what makes us clean. This is what purifies us. Hebrews 8, verse 9 and 10, we don't have time to go to them, but essentially Paul's saying these people, these, these Israelites were being dragged by God. Like forcibly dragged by God. And you look at the history of Israel and it looks like they're being dragged, doesn't it? But Hebrews 8, verse 10, let's go there and this will be our final verse. Didn't want to read verse 9. Okay. Hebrews 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart, in, in their mind, and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Isn't that a powerful promise? Here's how it's going to happen, beloved. This is how you are going to be able to have that name of God written in your hearts and in your minds, that law of God written in your hearts and minds. This is how you're actually going to have sincere love for people. Because God's going to be the one who does it. Now look at this last point. People talk all the time about people trying to save themselves by works, right? Like, you don't have to do that. It's, it's just as easy as following Jesus. I want to let you know that trusting in Jesus and letting have the situation and not trying to manipulate it and having complete faith in Him and trusting in Him and knowing that He's going to work it out in the end is the hardest work that you can do. Can we resonate with that? Because how many of us are surrendering to God and not touching it after we surrender it to Him? The hardest work to do is to let it be in God's hands. So, we are to be saved by grace, amen? And I believe that God Himself helps us put that down. But I'm asking all of us, this is the appeal, in faith, because we can't get this any other way, to trust God enough 
to lay our burdens down at his feet and not pick them up again. And he will be the one who writes his law in our hearts and on our minds. And he's the one who, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, will give us those fruits, those powerful spiritual fruits that will make it so when people see us, they will see the message of a crucified and risen Savior who's coming very soon to take them home. Can I get an amen? How many of us want to do that? How many of us want to lay our burdens down at the foot of the cross, not pick them up again? Let's ask Jesus' help for that because He didn't call us sheep for nothing. (laughs) Dear Jesus, thank You so much that You are the way, the truth, and the life and that, Father, You you do not ask us to see Yourself that you do not ask us to follow arbitrary laws, but that you give us laws so that we can see you. And Father, not only do we want to see you, but we want others to see you through us. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to come and to fill our hearts and our minds with your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray for love and we pray for joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith meekness and temperance, we pray that you, Father, would write your law in, your, in our hearts and in our minds that when people see us, they can see this person, this person shows me Jesus. Father, this is our prayer and our plea. As we leave this place now, we pray for safety and protection and most of all, Father, we pray for for your love to be in our hearts for this next week. We pray this in your name. Amen.